it is practically impossible to have a relationship with someone that you never talk to. fact is, if in a home you're not talking to each other, that relationship's dying. If you've got people that you've said are friends, but you haven't talked to them in ages, that relationship's just not growing. In the same way, it is practically impossible to have a relationship with God and not pray. Prayer is the means by which we talk to God, and, and if we're not doing that, then then we're not maintaining that relationship with God. And yet we struggle with prayer. Just like we sometimes struggle with communicating with each other. Sometimes we struggle with prayer and how we need to grow in that and how we can make it a deeper part of our life. And so over the past year, we've been taking a look at the Psalms because many of us recognize that the Psalms, even though it's in the Old Covenant, is not our law, it still demonstrates to us that kind of deep relationship that allows for deep, meaningful prayer. And so over the past few months, we've talked about how the psalmists viewed God and how the psalmists viewed themselves and how they viewed prayer and what they thought about that and, and how they prepared to pray. This morning, I'd like for us to take just a few moments to continue our look at the psalms and the psalmists and their relationship with God and recognize that if we want to pray as they pray, if we want to have the relationship with God that they had, we need to have the same goal in our prayers that they had. When we read through the Psalms, we cannot help but notice that they had an overarching principle and goal that was what their praying was all about. And I'd like for us to note that this morning, and I'd like for us to make that a part of our prayer lives, to make that what governs our praying. And then take a look at how we can accomplish that. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you so much. You are the great and awesome God. You are holy and your name is reverent. And we lift you up and honor you because you are the great creator of all the universe. You have placed us here. You have made us fearfully and wonderfully. You know each and every one of us. You care for us and you love us. We are of more value to you than all other creatures on this earth, and we are thankful that you watch over us, and we praise you for that, Father. We pray that everything that we do will glorify you this morning, and also as we leave this and walk in our individual lives, help us live to your glory. Father, not unto us be the glory, but unto your name, for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, because you are the judge, you are the creator, you are the merciful benefactor, you are the provider who takes care of us. We want to praise your name. Forgive us, Father, where we have not acknowledged you. Forgive us where we have relied upon ourselves and thought that somehow we could govern our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us, break us of that, and help us to recognize how much we need you in our lives. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. We praise your glorious name. Through your Son we pray. Amen. Well, when we read the different psalms, there's no doubt that at times the psalmist offered petitions. They laid out their cares and they laid out their anxieties and, and they had things that sometimes they wanted. And so there's no doubt that you could look at specific prayers and say, well, it seems that this prayer has this particular goal. But when we look at the psalms as a whole, when we look at them as a continuum, 
There is no doubt that there was one goal that the Psalms had with their praying in general. No matter what their specific prayer was about, they had a goal with their praying in general. And we find that it's the same goal that we can read about in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, three times Paul makes this statement. Chapter 1 and verse 6. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul talks about what God has done. And in verse 6 he says, to the praise of His glorious grace. And then down in verse 12 he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then again in verse 14. In verse 14 Paul says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Three times he talks about that, that everything needs to be about the praise of God's glory. And when we take a look at the Psalms, that is exactly what we see the goal of their prayers is. That everything would be to the praise of God's glory. No doubt we can easily see that in Psalms that were intended specifically as Psalms of praise. Psalm 8 that Adam just read to us a moment ago begins in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name! The psalm is about the praise of His glory. In Psalm 115, Psalm 115 and verse 1, the psalmist says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. In Psalm 146, Psalm 146, also the first verse of that psalm, Psalm 146 and verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And then Psalm 150. Psalm 150 begins, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. The psalmist wanted to praise God. And it's not surprising to find statements of praise, but what is really surprising is we find that it's, it's not just psalms of praise that are about praising God. Even the laments, even the petitions, even what are called the didactic psalms, that is, psalms that don't seem to be prayers as much as they seem to be teaching the folks who are listening to them. All of these are filled with the praises of God and demonstrate to us that the psalmist, even when they had particular goals with each individual prayer, the overarching principle and goal that governed every prayer they offered was that everything be to the praise of God's glory. Look in Psalm 6. In the sixth psalm, And verse 5. Actually, look at verse 4. Certainly, he's praying for deliverance. He says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. But why? Verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Why did he want deliverance? Not merely so he could live, 
But because if he died and was in Sheol, he wouldn't be able to praise God before the multitudes and so that others would see. He says there's not any praise there. What is he worried about? He wants his life to be to the praise of God's glory. And even when we have this specific goal, what's it about? The overarching goal is that God be praised. Look in Psalm 30. In Psalm 30, beginning at verse 8. In Psalm 30, beginning at verse 8, the psalmist says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. But why? Verse 9, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. He wants healing. He wants mercy. He doesn't want to die. But why? Because once he's dead and his body is turned into dust, it will no longer praise him before the people. It will no longer be able to tell of God's great faithfulness. What was his goal with this prayer? Not that he would live. His goal was that God would be praised. Look in Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is really a central psalm about this issue. Because in Psalm 88, almost all the other psalms, even if they start out bad, end up good. Even if they start off with how awful it is and how upset they are at God, it ends up with, God, how amazing you are and what you've done for me. But Psalm 88 doesn't. Psalm 88 demonstrates that sometimes things are just bad and they just stay bad. But in Psalm 88 and verse 10, what's he say? Why is he concerned about all these things? Why is he petitioning God over and over and over again? In verse 10, do you work wonders for the dead? Did the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Even here, when the psalmist is upset at God and blames Him for all kinds of awful things in his life, what is he concerned about? Why is he pleading with God? Because if he dies, he'll no longer be able to sing God's praises and speak of His everlasting love and His faithfulness. That's what he's concerned about. In Psalm 115, in Psalm 115 again, verse 17, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What are they concerned about? Praising God. Psalm 118, Psalm 118 and verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He's not given me over to death. Why is He happy that even though the Lord has disciplined Him, He won't be given over to death? Because He'll be able to recount the deeds of the Lord. And in Psalm 119, this is one of those psalms we mentioned a minute ago that you would call a didactic psalm or a teaching psalm. It ends with this in Psalm 119 and verse 175. Let my soul live and praise you. That's what it's about. When we take a look at the Psalms, there's no doubt. You can read from the beginning to end over and over and over again. No matter what's going on, whether they're being oppressed, whether they're sick, whether they're in financial turmoil, whether things are good, whether things are bad, whether they're teaching, whether they're learning, whether they're praying, over and over again there is one goal, and that is that everything would be to the praise of God's glory. And that is what our praying needs to be about. 
That's not to say that there won't be prayers that we offer that may have a particular goal. We may be praying for the health of a loved one. We may be praying for some type of turmoil that we're in. We may be praying for deliverance. We may be praying because we're oppressed. We may be praying because we're having a bad day. But the overarching thing that governs our prayers needs to be that everything be to the praise of God's glory. And so how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? How can we have this same goal that the psalmist had? There's four things that I'd like to share with you that I think we can do that will help us have this exact same goal. The very first thing is, you actually have to praise God. We cannot say that everything is the praise of God's glory if we're not actually praising God. This is not just some idea. This is not just some concept. This is not just an attitude. This is not just a a, a motivation. It is something that we actually have to do. We actually need to praise God. Did you notice in those four psalms that we talked about, where we looked at the praise psalms, every single one of them began with that Psalm 8.1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Psalm, uh, I forgot what the other psalm was. Psalm uh, 146, 115 was the next one. Uh, Not unto us be glory, but unto you be glory. That was how he started. Psalm 146 and verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. I'll praise the Lord. That's how they began. It was all about praising God. And we just need to spend some time praising God. We need to have some prayers that are just about praising God. We need to have prayers where we set aside everything else and we take some time that right now, God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you for who you are. I'm going to praise you for what you've done. I'm going to praise you for what you've done for me. I'm going to praise you for what you've done for others. I'm going to praise you for what you promised. I'm just going to give thanks and praise and adore you. But perhaps we also need to recognize that every prayer we offer ought to at least begin with praise. I think about Jesus' model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Here it's found in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, pray then like this. And we know that in the prayer he's going to talk about God's kingdom and His will being done. We know he's going to ask about daily bread. And we know he's going to mention forgiveness. We know he's going to ask for leadership and guidance. But what's the very first thing he does? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how he starts. Before he gets to everything else, excuse me, the very first thing He does, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Let's get this relationship right, right off the start. I'm the child. You're the Father. You're the Holy One. I'm not. You're the one to be praised. I'm not. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Some manuscripts demonstrate that this prayer also ends with praise. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If we want the overarching goal of our prayers that be that everything be to the praise of God's glory, then we actually have to praise God. And it would be a good practice to make that the anchor of every prayer, no matter what the specific prayer is about. As we praise and honor God, no matter what else we're going to do in prayer, it's about Him being praised. And the second one is really the tough one. 
And that is, is that we need to be more concerned about God's will than our own will. One of the biggest problems that we have with prayer today is that we believe prayer is the means by which we bend God to our will. And so when we pray and it doesn't cause God to do what we ask, we think prayer is broken. But that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about bending God to our will. Prayer is about bending us to God's will. We need to be more concerned about God's will. Isn't that what the psalmists were? The psalmists were concerned about God's will over their own will. Psalm 88, what, what was all that request about? It was so that God could be praised. In Psalm 6, why did he want delivered? So God could be praised. He was concerned about what would happen with God. I think a great example of this is found in 2 Kings chapter 19. In 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah is coming to God asking for deliverance from Assyria. Assyria has conquered so many nations, they've conquered Israel, and now they're knocking on Jerusalem's door and they're trying to wipe out Judah. And Hezekiah comes to God in, in 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made heaven and earth. Incline Your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open Your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent to threaten Jerusalem. Is that what you're saying? Not what it says. Open your ears and hear, and open your eyes and see, and see and hear what Sennacherib said to mock the living God. What is Hezekiah concerned about? Hezekiah is concerned that God has been mocked. Truly, O Lord, in verse 17, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from His hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that they shouldn't mess with Jerusalem. Is that what it says? No. That's not what it says. What he says is that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. What's he concerned about? Oh, listen. I'm not naive. I know he's concerned about his life, and I know he's concerned about the life of his servants, but what is his main concern? This is not manipulation. Hezekiah is concerned about God's praise. He's concerned about God's will. He's more concerned that God was mocked than he is that Jerusalem was threatened. He's more concerned that the people in the land around them will not recognize who is truly God than he is about their destruction. If we want our prayers to be to the praise of God's glory, our prayers need to be more about God's will than they are our own will. In fact, go again to Jesus' model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The first thing He does is praise God, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. But what's the second thing He does? Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When it talks about your kingdom come here, he's not merely talking about the establishment of the church. He's talking about God's rule emanating through the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's going to talk about things that he wants and needs, but what's his first and primary concern? 
that God's will be done. Everything else after that prayer is subject to this. That God's will be done. And look at how Jesus actually lived this in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, as he's praying in the garden, Verse 38, he says to his inner circle, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. <coughs> Excuse me. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The concept of being more concerned about God's will than ours it doesn't mean that we can't let God know what we want. But listen to Jesus' prayer. He says, Father, if it's possible, here's what I want. I want this cut to pass from you. But more than what I want, I want what you want. What you want takes precedence. And if what I'm wanting doesn't fit within your will, then I'll live with that. Because I want what you want more than what I want. Because I trust you. Because I know you're smarter than me and wiser than me. And you see the end from the beginning and I know that you're greater than me. And what I am most concerned about, God, is that your will be done. Prayer is not about bending God to our will. Prayer is about us bending to His. And when we recognize that, we'll be like those psalms. The overarching goal of our prayers will be that everything be to the praise of God's glory. But that leads to how we deal with what God does in response to our prayers. And the thing that we need to do if we want everything to be to the praise of God's glory is we've just got to trust God's answers. We've got to trust God that He's smarter than us, He's wiser than us, He's bigger than us, He's more powerful than us, and He knows what He's doing. And we don't. So when we prayed and God doesn't do things the way we wanted God to do, instead of throwing our hands up in the air, instead of saying prayer doesn't work, instead of saying that, well, God, God must not be listening and God's not doing anything, we need to learn to trust God's answers. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We can trust God. God is working things out for us so that everything will be to our ultimate good. And we may not be able to see it today. There are things that go on. And, and we may not be able to see it. I read a story this week about a woman whose house burned to the ground. I can't imagine how that would be any good. I can't imagine how anybody would look at that and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on this one. And yet when the whole story was done, what she pointed out was that leading up to this fire, she had been in a deep depression. And of course you would think that having a house fire would make that just worse, but actually what happened for her was that as she had to start dealing with the stuff about her house and getting it rebuilt and dealing with the insurance, that got her active and got her having to interact with people and got her having to do things. And it actually led her out of her depression. Now, I'm not saying that every house that's burned down is to get somebody out of depression. I'm just saying that, look, you know, the fact is, if your house burned down, I'd have a hard time seeing how is that good. 
But I've heard a story now where it was good for somebody. Now, in the moment, it wasn't so good. But in the long run, it helped them. The fact is, things can look really, really bad. But God is working things out for our ultimate good. Look again in Matthew chapter 7 now. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God will give us good things. And we need to trust that the things God gives us are for our good. We just have to trust Him. Paul demonstrated an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had asked God, and God said no. When God tells us no, we get upset. But what Paul was able to recognize is that God's answer is good. God has a good answer for me. Because he said no, Paul learned, I have to rely on him more. God said yes to everything we ever asked. We might quit relying on him. We might become proud and conceited and puffed up. Paul said, I'm glad he gave me a thorn in the flesh. You know, some of us need to pray for one. Because otherwise, we'll be arrogant and conceited and relying on ourselves. And our praying won't be about the glory of God, and our lives won't be about the glory of God. But if we want to be like the psalmists, and if we want to have the relationship they had with God, if we want to pray as they prayed, the goal needs to be that everything be to the praise of God's glory. And to do that, we're going to just have to trust God's answers. And then we're just going to have to praise God whether we get what we want or not. Because sometimes he says no. And what did Paul do when God said no? He praised God. He thanked God. Because he saw God's wisdom. So often, we are like little children. Trina's two now. And she's now getting into that phase where she can actually ask for things. And of course, you know that means that sometimes we have to say no. These two-year-olds don't get everything they want. Two-year-olds are not quite old enough to understand that that's for their own good. And so when Trina is told no, y'all can imagine what she does. Stomps her feet, yells. She's getting really good at yelling. She gets that from Marita. Sometimes we're like that. God, please give me this. Please do that. Please do this. And he says no. 
and we stomp our feet and pitch a fit and get all upset. And we need to learn to praise God whether He gives us what we want or not. Perhaps the greatest example of this can be found at the very beginning of the book of Job. In Job chapter 1, and verse 21, after Satan's first attack, here was Job's response. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to bless the Lord when He gives. It's a lot harder to bless the Lord when He takes away. And that's exactly what Job did. We need to learn that. Just like we have to tell our kids no sometimes, God has to tell us no sometimes. And we need to learn to bless Him and praise Him and honor Him, even when He does that. And that's exactly what the psalmist did over and over again. Things are not going their way, but they keep praising God. Even there in Psalm 88, kept going to God in prayer every day. And what was he concerned about? That if he died, he wouldn't be able to keep praising God anymore. Praise Him when we get what we want. Praise Him when we don't. Because God deserves our praise. As we pray, there are going to be lots of different things that we pray about. Sometimes we'll be confessing our sins and seeking forgiveness. Sometimes we'll be asking for things. Sometimes we'll be lamenting things. Sometimes we will just specifically be praising things. But we need to understand in all of that, but no matter what the specific thing going on at that moment is, the goal and principle for our praying must be that everything be to the praise of God's glory. That's what our lives need to be about. Prayer is not about bending God to our will. Prayer is about us bending to His. We serve a great God. We serve a God who does take care of us. And we serve a God who is leading us to eternity with Him. And no matter what the steps along the way, where they lead us, whether it goes the way we want or not, we need to be praising God because it's all about His glory.